Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right. Uh, welcome back. Please find your seats if you haven't done so. And uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can worship you, that we can be in a relationship with you, that we can represent your image in which we were created. We thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself and God, you are just so good to us. You have brought us into this family and you bless us with, um, with the fellowship of our brothers and sisters. I pray that we would not take that for granted, that we would um, enjoy that blessing that you've given us. And God, I pray that you speak to us this evening through your word. I pray that... Um, you open our minds, open our hearts to understand um, what you have revealed to us in your word by your spirit. I pray that you give me the words to speak for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we, uh, we have been studying uh, the DNA of our church, the DNA of Kaleo. And before we, before we move on, or before I, I guess before we get started, I, I want to do a little bit of a review. But for this, I'm going to need the kids' participation. Okay, I'm going to ask question of the kids. So kids, are you ready? I feel like some of you are half asleep. And then, and then some of you are like wide awake. Great. All right. So if you kids... I'm assuming that if you're here, you can read or you're getting really close. So the first value of our DNA is, can you tell me? Worship. Okay, yeah, the first one is worship. So who, which kid can tell me what do we mean by worship? What is worship? Giving praise to God, perfect. What else? Can anybody else tell me what do we mean by worship? Enjoying God. Yes, who said that? Great. Another children over there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what else do we mean by worship? Anybody, not just children, anybody. What do we mean when we say that one of the, or part of the DNA of our church is worship? What do we mean by that? Yeah, we sing, right? That's one way that we worship God. What else? Exactly. Yes, we were made to worship God. That is the purpose for which we were created. So I was kind of trying to think about uh, uh, what we have learned so far and I was trying to think of it in terms of questions and answers, kind of like a catechism. And so the question that I, that I wrote, which I based, it's basically exactly uh, the same or very similar to the Westminster Catechism, is what is our purpose in life? And the answer that I wrote is our purpose is to worship God. We were created to be in relationship with God and to represent His image. Right, So the purpose for which we exist, not only as a church, but as a people, is to worship God. All right, the second uh, value in our DNA is gospel. 
What do we mean by gospel? Let's start with the kids first. What is the gospel? The word of God. Yes, that is the gospel. What else? Preaching. We preach the gospel, but can you tell me what the gospel is? What is the message of the gospel? Good news, right? The gospel literally means good news. And what are the good news? What's so good about the gospel? Okay, God is coming. Yes, Jesus is coming back. That's exactly right. Jesus died and rose again for us. That is the message of the gospel, right? Jesus died on the cross. He rose again for us because he did it to reconcile us to God, to forgive us, to make it possible to worship God, right? If our main purpose in life is to worship God, the next question would be, what do we need in order to worship God? And the answer is, we need to be reconciled to God first by the power of the gospel, right? Because of, our, because of the original sin and because of our personal sin, our relationship with God uh, is broken and the image of God is distorted or is marred in us. And therefore, we need reconciliation with God. If we, if we want to have a relationship with God, if we want to represent his image, the first thing that we need is that through the message of the gospel, God reconciles us to himself. And so today we're looking at the third value, which is community. And so the question that I wrote for it uh, is, are we reconciled so that we worship God by ourselves? Are we reconciled so that we worship God by ourselves? And the answer that I wrote is no. God saves individuals into a community that worships him by loving one another. And that's, that's really the main point that I'm going to try to make today, that I want us to see today. Let me say it again. God saves individuals into a community that worships him by loving one another. God saves individuals into a community that worships him by loving one another. So what we're going to do today is we are mostly going to be in two main sections of the Bible. I do want to apologize because I feel like last week we were all over the place. And I mean, the, the topic of the gospel is just so massive and it really is, it is through the entire scriptures. But I, I, I realized that it's probably a little bit difficult for us to be going from one verse to the other. So this time, I really want us to spend most of our time in two passages mainly. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be quoting from other, uh, other parts in Scripture, but we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians 2, and then for the second half of the message, we're going to spend our time in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Don't worry, we're not going to read all of that, but that's, that's kind of the general area that we're going to be in. So... God saves individuals into a community that worships him by loving one another. And first of all, I want to talk about the idea of individual salvation and salvation into a community. And the reason why we are in Ephesians 2 is because I believe that here in Ephesians 2, Paul is presenting two sides of the coin of salvation. Paul here is talking in the first half of Ephesians 2, he is talking about the individual aspect of our salvation. And then in the second half, he is talking about the communal aspect of our salvation. And so what do we mean by individual aspect of our salvation? Well, 
By that, we mean that God saves individuals, right? Okay, another question for the kids. Kids, can you be saved simply because your grandpa and your grandma and your parents were saved? No, so what do you need to be saved? You need to ask the Lord. You need to believe in the gospel, right? You need to believe in Christ. He saves you, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, because your grandma was a believer, then you get a pass, right? He says, no, because you have trusted in me as your only savior, I am saving you as an individual, right? And I think that's something that all of us need to acknowledge, right? Salvation is individual. We cannot be saved by somebody else's uh, work other than Christ right? Christ is really the one who saves individuals. And if you think about it, that is really, really good news. And that is kind of countercultural in a sense, in that Christianity, it, it tells us that individuals can have a direct relationship with God, right? Christianity is telling us that the only mediator that we need to be uh, before God, to be forgiven before God is Jesus Christ. We learn in the scriptures that as individuals, and, and this is where Ephesians 2 comes into play, as individuals, we used to be dead in our sins and trespasses. We used to be enemies of God. But then if you read uh, Ephesians 2 verse 4, we learn this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and, um, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when you trusted in Jesus for salvation, when you believed in the gospel, what God did is he united you to Christ and with Christ, he brought you from death to spiritual life, right? And that's what we saw last week when we were talking about the gospel, right? That we were united to Christ and we were brought uh, uh, or, and we were given spiritual life. That's one side of the coin of salvation. But then in the second half of Ephesians 2, we see the other side of this coin of salvation. Even though we are saved as individuals, we are not saved so that we would remain in isolation, right? We are saved as individuals, but we are not saved to remain in isolation. We are saved into a community. We are saved into a kingdom. We are saved into the family of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, Call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then listen to what God did. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might, be, he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
uh, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And then where's the, where's the verse that, I, that I'm looking for? Um, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So these are the two sides of that coin, right? On the one hand, we are saved as individuals. We are united to Christ and we are brought to a spiritual life. But on the other side of that coin, we are saved into a family. We are made a part of God's people. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Think about that for a moment. It means... When, when, when we read here that we are fellow citizens with the saints, it means that when God saves us, he brings us into a community, into a kingdom that is so much larger than ourselves, right? When God saves us, he brings us in, or, or he gives us this uh, uh, inheritance or not, sorry, not inheritance. He gives us this heritage throughout history, right? When God saves us, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they become our patriarchs, right? When God saves us, the promises that God made to the people of Israel, now that we are united to Christ, those promises become ours as well. When God saves us, that unites us to all of Christians throughout the history of the world, right? I don't know if you have a, a maybe a, a Christian hero of the faith, that maybe, maybe you really like the story of uh, George Mueller, or, or you really like uh, Augustine of Hippo's theology, or maybe you're not, that, you're not a nerd like me. I like his theology, but I don't expect you to even know who he is. But maybe you like uh, the story of Corey Ten Boom, or, or whatever, you know, whatever Christian throughout history that you appreciate their story. Well, guess what? Because you have been brought into this family, into this kingdom, because you have been made fellow citizen with the saints, it means that they are your brothers and sisters and they are part of your history. They are part of your heritage, right? And it also means that all of the believers in the world today, they are a part of our family, Right? When, when Peter, I think it's in, at the end of 1 Peter, when he's talking about trials and, and the sufferings that people are going through the world, he says our, the brotherhood is going through this throughout the world. Right? So all of us, we, we are not just saved as individuals to have our own little individual salvation. We are saved as individuals and we are brought into a community of saints that is incredibly large, right? Think of, think of the passages we read in, in Revelation where we see uh, uh, this innumerable multitude worshiping God, right? That's the community that we have been brought into. And this means that our fellow believers here on the harbor, right? Not, not just Kaleo, but the churches on the harbor who are true believers in the Lord who have truly been saved it means that they are our brothers and sisters. It means that they are a part of our family. And this also means that here at Kaleo, since we are this you know, smaller expression of, of this infinite kingdom of God, it means that we are brothers and sisters of one another here at Kaleo.
we are members of one another. We belong to this family and, and particularly, right? I want to speak into us as a church, as a, as a community here, Kaleo Church. We are members of one another. We are a smaller expression of God's kingdom. And therefore, we want to make sure that the values of this kingdom are clearly visible in this small kingdom community called Kaleo. So this is where I'm hoping to bring my sermon to a more practical level. This is actually, uh, we're going to get into the second half of the sermon. Now, don't get excited. I don't, I, by half, I just mean the second part. I don't know if it's actually like half in that. This other half is going to be as short as this half. It's just the second part of the sermon. But um, God saved us into a community that worships him by loving one another. So what are the implications of being members of God's king? Or sorry, the implication of being members of God's kingdom is that we love one another, right? And that's, that's for me, that's the big picture, right? That we love one another. When we were talking about worship, we saw that the greatest command is to love God, right? And that's how we worship God. We worship God by enjoying him, by being in a relationship with him, by loving him. Well, the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so one of the most powerful and most practical ways to worship God is by loving our fellow brothers and sisters. So for that, let's go to... Oh, wow, I skipped a really big chunk. No wonder it was... Uh... No wonder I felt like it was a little shorter. But let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Um, and the reason why I want us to see Hebrews 12 real, real quick is because here the author of Hebrews presents this community that we have been brought into. He presents it in, in the greatest of terms. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, verses 22 through 24. This is how the author of Hebrews describes this community, this kingdom that we have been brought into. He says, But you have come to Mount, Z to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gatherings. And then listen to this part. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the, than the blood of Abel. But, but look at verse 23. We have been brought to the assembly. That's actually the same Greek word used for church. We have been brought into the church, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. So when God saved you, yes, he saved you as an individual, but he brought you into this assembly, into this gathering, into this group of people, into this group of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. But then if you, if you, uh, if you go forward a few verses in Hebrews 12, look at verse 28. Because we have received this amazing kingdom. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So, because we have been brought into this kingdom, because we have received this kingdom, 
we are called to offer acceptable worship to God, right? Which brings us back to the, to the, first, the first value in our DNA. We worship God. But then look at chapter 13, verse 1. This is the very first thing that we are told after we are commanded to offer worship to God. The very first command is, let brotherly love continue. In other words, do you want to offer worship to God? Do you want to offer um, acceptable worship to God? Well, one of the main ways you can do it is by loving your brothers and your sisters. And now, for real, let's go to, to the second half, which is Romans chapter 12. So please uh, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And here we see basically the same thing. And another passage where we are commanded to worship God, where we are told what true worship is. And then the very next command is to love our brothers and sisters. In Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in these two verses, we have a command to offer to God acceptable worship, right? We are commanded to offer God spiritual worship, to, to offer ourselves up or our bodies up as a living sacrifice. And then what does the next, what's, what does the rest of the chapter say? The rest of the chapter and really the rest of the book of Romans is a, 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 a bunch of instructions on how to love one another. A lot of commands and instructions on how we can live with one another as brothers and sisters. And so when we see this, this pattern happening in Hebrews 13, and when we see this, hap this pattern happening in Romans 12, I do not think that it was an accident that they said, Worship God, offer to God spiritual worship. And the, the very next thing that we are told is how to live with our brothers and sisters, how to love our brothers and sisters. And the connection that I'm trying to make here is that one of the ways that we worship God is by loving our fellow members of this kingdom. So there are a lot of commandments in scripture about loving our brothers and sisters uh, there's actually one particular word or a couple of words in English. Um, the words are one another, one another. And if you look up in your Bible uh, or really if you just look up on the Internet and say, you know, show me all of the passages in the Bible that say one another. It will give you a, a very long list of passages in Scripture that talk about one another. And so I'm not necessarily going to mention all of them, although I do intend to read several of them. But this is what I want to do so that we can understand them a little bit better. I divided them into three categories. One category is edify one another. The other category is love one another. And the last category is be with one another. 
And these, these uh, um, categories, I made them up. I'm not, I'm not claiming that these, you know, are exactly from Scripture. This is just a way for me to help all of us kind of understand them in a, in a more organized way. But obviously, there is a lot of overlap, and they all are under the umbrella of love one another. All right, so let's talk about edify one another. What does this brotherly, sisterly love look like in the church? Well, one of the ways that we show it is by edifying one another. And this is what we see in Romans 12. So for example, in verse three, it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And, and then he goes on to, to uh, talk about different gifts that we are supposed to use. And so the point here is that God has given us gifts that we have to use. It's not optional. It's a commandment. God has given us gifts that we have to use to edify one another, to build one another up, to help one another grow in their knowledge of God, in their holiness, in their Christian maturity, in their Christian walk, right? The Christian life is not meant to be lived or walked alone. We're supposed to walk together in this and we're supposed to edify one another. In fact, one of the ways that God dispenses His grace to us is by giving us spiritual gifts to use for the edification of our brothers and sisters. And so one of the implications of this is that when we come to church on Sunday, right? When we come to the Sunday gathering, one of the questions that we should be asking ourselves in preparation is, how can I worship God and offer up my body as a living sacrifice by ministering to my fellow members? How can I worship God, right? When we come, when we come to the Sunday gathering, I think, I hope that all of us are thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to worship God. But what I'm saying is that to complete that question, we should say, how can I worship God by ministering to my fellow members? How can I use the gifts that God has given me in order to minister to others and thus dispense God's grace to them? In what areas can I sacrifice myself, my desires, my preferences, so that my fellow members are edified, loved, nurtured, and honored? Right? If we truly understand that worship to God is, a, is offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice, if we truly understand that worshiping God is using the gifts that He has given us to edify one another, then when we come to any gathering of the church, whether it be Sunday or gospel community or DNA groups or really when you have anyone, you know, someone over at your house or anytime you meet with another person, with another believer, the question that we should be asking ourselves is, how can I edify this person, right? Going back to Hebrews, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews 10, verse 24, this is actually one of the main passages that are used to argue for the church gathering on Sundays. Uh, and, and, but listen to what it says. It says, consider 
how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So notice how in this passage, the main commandment is not to not neglect to meet together. That, that is a commandment and we should definitely not neglect to meet, one another, uh, to meet together. But the main commandment is for us to consider, to think about, to reflect on how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then the, the, the commandment that is attached to that is not neglecting to meet, one another, to meet together, right? How are we going to stir one another up in, to love and good works if we don't meet together? But let me flip that on the other side. What is the point of meeting together if we are not willing to stir one another up to love and good works, right? When we meet, one of our main goals should be to stir one another up to love and good works. When we have a, a gathering or a gospel community, a meal, when you have someone over at your house, when you come to prayer meeting or whatever event of the church it is or, or whatever gathering of the church you come to, if you left that meeting and you said to yourself, you know what, I didn't really get anything out of it. Could it be that you just didn't put anything into it? Could it be that maybe you were going into that meeting with the wrong motivation, thinking to get something for yourself instead of saying, I'm going to go into this meeting to edify my brothers and sisters. I'm going to go into this family to build one another up. Now, I'm not going to come into this meeting thinking about what can I get out of it, but what can I put into it? What can I give? How can I edify others? Because again, worship to God is when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so that's, that's one. That's edify one another. The second one is to love one another. And again, this love is, is ultimately the umbrella under, uh, under which all of them are. But if you look at uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul writes, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. You shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. True worship to God is when we love one another, when we love our fellow members of the body of Christ. In chapter 12, verse 10, we read, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When was the last, the last time that you thought to yourself, how can I outdo everyone else in showing honor to them? I feel like the main temptation is, why are these people not honoring me the way that I feel like I should be honored? Right? And I think that's, that's the thing that Paul is speaking against in verse 3 when he says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Because if we're honest, the temptation is to want others to honor us, to show respect to us, to show us that we are important. But the believer who understands the grace of God, the believer who understands that he has been brought into a family, into a kingdom, 
the believer that understands those things is always looking to outdo one another in showing honor. Later in chapter 14, uh, there's an entire discourse on not judging our fellow brothers and sisters on issues of preference in terms of, you know, these people want to meet on this day, these people want to meet on this day, these people don't want to eat this kind of food, but these people want to eat this food. And it's just issues of preference in secondary, secondary matters. But the bottom line that Paul is trying to communicate is that we should not judge one another. Instead, we should accept one another. And he brings this entire argument to a climax in chapter 15. And I'm going to read those verses, 15, 1 through 7. And last week, one of the things that I, that, that I mentioned is that Paul often uses the gospel to, uh, to, te to teach us about Christian living. And this is basically what he's doing here. He is teaching us to accept one another, and he is going to bring the example of Christ into it. So he says in verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Notice how, Jesus, how he is bringing up Jesus as an example, saying he did not please himself. Therefore, you shouldn't please yourself. You should seek to please your brothers and sisters. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are commanded to live in harmony with one another. And then verse 7, Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then the last, uh, the last point here. So we have uh, edify one another. We have love one another. And then this last one is be with one another. And what do I mean by being with one another? What I mean by this is that if we recognize that we are members of the same household of God, we will live our lives together as family in Christ. Uh, one of the things I really, really appreciate about the church in Mexico is that Christians in Mexico literally call each other brother and sister in Christ. Which, by the way, it's super convenient when you don't remember someone's name, right? Because instead of saying, uh, you know, instead of trying to figure out their name, you can just say, hey, brother, how are you doing? Good to see you. Uh, and, and it's just, it's perfectly normal, right? That's how Christians address each other. They address each other as brother and sister in Christ. And I believe that one of the reasons that this happens is because in Mexico, and I'm sure this happens in other cultures, when you become a Christian, you are immediately rejected by society. Because when you become a Christian, you are no longer, when you become a follower of Jesus, you are no longer engaging in the, in the sinful lifestyle that your friends used to and that you used to with your friends, sorry. Uh, when you become a Christian, uh, you don't 
worship the same idols that, that the culture worships, right? When you become a Christian, you don't go to the, to the same parties that they go where, you know, where everyone gets drunk and you, you just don't do those things. And so the people that used to be your friends, the members of your family, like your actual relatives and even immediate family, if they're not believers, they reject you. And then you find your new family in Christ. And now the, the church, your family in Christ, they are the people that you celebrate things with, right? You celebrate your birthday with them and you, uh, you have them over for dinner and you eat with them and you go watch a movie with them because this is your new family, right? These are your brothers and sisters. You live life with one another. And so this is what, we mean, this is what I mean by saying that we love one another by being with one another. Now, I am not saying that we as Christians need to, you know, pull ourselves out from, from all of culture and never again talk to our, you know, to our co-workers or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. We're going to address that next week uh, when we talk about uh, mission. We definitely want to engage with, with the world, with unbelievers. But what I mean is that for the Christian, for the one who understands that he has been brought into a new community, we recognize that there is a stronger blood than the blood that you share with your relatives, which is the blood of Christ, right? You realize that the blood of Christ is now stronger, so much stronger than any other blood that you share with your relatives. You realize that, the, that co-laboring with your church family for the kingdom is so much better than any other sort of, of work or, or fun or whatever it is that you used to have. You realize that now this is your family and you are committed to loving them. All right, so I want to finish this message by reading several of the one another commandments in, in the New Testament. I'm, I'm probably going to comment on a few of them or some of them, but really what I hope is that we see what it means to love one another. We see what it means to worship God by being in a loving relationship with his people. So Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. People who recognize that they are members of God's kingdom, they will see the needs of others. They will see the needs of the people of, uh, of the church and they will contribute to those needs. They will be generous in those needs. They will show hospitality. Uh, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Since we are family, when someone in the family is suffering, when someone in the family is sick, we go and minister to them and we suffer with them and we cry with them. And then when someone is rejoicing, when someone is celebrating something, we go and celebrate with them. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 14, instruct one another. As, as family, as members of the same body, we actually in, instruct one another, we teach one another, but also on the other side of that coin, we are willing to be instructed by others, right? We recognize that, that God, that the same spirit is present in my brother or sister that is present in me, and therefore we are ready to be instructed by them. Uh, chapter 16, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I know that the holy kiss is not 
is not part of the American culture. So I'm not saying you have to greet one another with a holy kiss, but we have to greet one another at least, right? We have to greet one another. One of the reasons we have a greeting time is so that we can actually greet one another. We can acknowledge one another. We can get to know one another. If, if you've been here in this church for, for a while and you haven't met everyone, well, I encourage you to meet everyone. I encourage you to greet one another and, and to show the love of Christ by doing that. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying anything radical or out of the ordinary. This is Christianity 101, right? Be, this is living in community. I'm not saying anything crazy. Greet one another. And sure, you don't have to do the holy kiss. You can do a holy side hug or whatever it is that you choose to do. Um, care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens, right? That means that your, your brother, your sister's burden has also become yours as well, right? It means that you voluntarily go and say, let me help you bear that burden, that go through that trial that you're going through. Let's go through it together. Uh, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't forgive one another. There is absolutely no reason why we should harbor uh, uh, bitterness against a brother or sister. Because God has forgiven us. And since, since God has forgiven us, we are to forgive one another. Uh, Ephesians 4.2, bear with one another. I know that there are people who are difficult to bear with. I know that there are people who are just difficult. Maybe I'm difficult for you to bear with, but the Bible commands us to bear with one another, to be patient with one another. Speak the truth, Ephesians 4.15. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's Ephesians 5.19. Submit to one another, Ephesians, Ephesians 5.21. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves, Philippians 2.3. Look to the interest of one another, Philippians 2.4. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Exhort one another, Hebrews 3.13. Show hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 4, 9, this, to me, this is, I mean, all of them are big ones, right? But if we are family in Christ, we should be having each, over, uh, each other over for dinner, right? We should show hospitality to one another. Pray for one another, James 5, 16. And, and here's a quote from uh, Don Carson. He's, this is a quote that I, that I love. He says, all of us would be wiser if we would resolve never to put people down except on our prayer list, right? The only reason we should put someone down would be on our prayer list to be praying for them. And then last one, James 5, 16, confess your faults to one another. So church, Kaleo, Kaleo family, let us remember that God saved us into a community that worships him by loving one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word of encouragement and exhortation that we've seen from your word. Pray that all of us would grow in our love for our family and our care, our concern for our family. 
that we would know that you have saved us into a kingdom, into a community, and that we would live as such. In Jesus' name, amen.